Jacqueline Wichiki. I'm so popular, and this is the second installment in a series of three Pride episodes, and I have a fabulous guest who I'm so excited to have on. Who are you? Um, I'm Harry Tafoya. I'm a writer. <laughs> Hi, Harry Tafoya, the writer. What are you doing? I'm drinking and podcasting. This is my first podcast ever. Too. I can't. Well, didn't you like kind of do like your a little podcast for a bit? Oh God, it's so terrible. I mean, like I have multiple episodes of this thing backed up, but I refuse to show them to the light of day because I think, um, I mean, I just, you know, no, no, fuck it, no, no. <laughs> <laughs> I have not heard it. I'm sure it's brilliant. Uh, what do you do? Uh, wait, I already asked you that. Uh, why do you follow me? Why do I follow you? Um, technically, I don't because yeah, Twitter's I- gone. Twitter's gone. You follow me on Instagram. Follow you on Instagram. Um, mm-hmm. uh, you're a timeless beauty. Oh, you're a timeless beauty. What an you're, answer. You're drag Dasha, which makes me um, thrilled and happy to see you. Um, and um, I appreciate that. I don't know. I appreciate this kind of axis of like um, aesthetically minded gays um, who are willing to be uh, elitist and um, willing to fight for the cause of. Uh, cultural elitism and uh cultural hierarchy absolutely i remember one of the first messages you ever sent me i was very i i remember when you followed me on twitter before it got swept away into the cyber void Mm -hmm. that i was deeply flattered that you complimented me one because dasha follows you on twitter (laughs) and two you said something that i thought was very true of my show which is that i'm preserving gay evil and um I think you were the first person to say that, and it's been a mission since day one. So I'm very glad that someone was on board and understanding of the mission. Yes, 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 yes. I support gay evil as a cause. I also support gay good as a cause, um, which I don't think exists anymore. And is like, um, mm. I don't know, the subject we're talking about today is kind of an exception that proves the rule um, that gays fundamentally are evil themselves. Um, but yeah, I don't know. I mean, I believe in also transcendent beauty and sublimity and, you know, all that kind of wonderful shit. Me too, which I thought was kind of a universal quality until as of late on Twitter when women started reading my tweets and reacting to them. And I'm glad that you're not there to not have to see this stuff because meanwhile, I'm soldiering on in peril. (laughs) I mean, I, I, I want everyone to be nice. Why can't everyone just like get along? I mean, I, I wonder sometimes if I'm a nice person. Um, Jack says I'm a nice person, so I believe him. Sure. But I do feel like I have a black heart sometimes. Yeah. I mean, I feel like Twitter as a platform incentivizes having a black heart and being an evildoer. Um, yeah, it, it just encourages enmity um, and along axis, like along lines that are very um, fake and gay. Yeah, very fake and gay, very tritely drawn. Yes. I just, you know, I know I'm not that evil because my phone isn't filled with screenshots of tweets and I don't, like, constantly just, like, post screenshots with, like, a side-eye emoji being, mm-hmm. like, um, or, like, I'm making the face now, but yeah. no one can see. It's, it's like, the uh, um, yeah. excuse me kind of face. I don't do that, so I know I'm not, like, the worst, but... Well- I definitely do have malicious intent a lot of time. Most of the intent is so that I can have an orgasm, I think. 
I could only I could only um I could only come if I post. Um, <laughs> um no, but like I, I I think the other part of that though too is like I also believe that you're a, a doer of good fundamentally because um even though you participate in fake al algorithmic reality, um you know that it's a sham. <laughs> um and, oh, sure. and you can recognize that um none of these constructs are real and also worth not feeding into? No, I mean, I don't think that any of this is going to ever turn into reality for me at this rate. I mean, <laughs> on top of um, it all being numbers, it also is that the numbers are being broadcast from a country that only about three other people are interacting with me from. <laughs> so it's like, all the people who are upset or like I'm like a micro like internet celebrity or like those kinds of things. It all exists in a, a reality that is literally thousands of miles in a different time zone away from me. So <laughs> it is all very much like a Twin Peaks reality that I have no access to. And it's just like happening while I am merely posting about my diary every day. I mean, I also think like one thing that would like fundamentally improve people's lives for the better. I mean, maybe this could become toxic in its own right. It's like... I also believe that all Twitter followings um, um, should be listed relative to the percentage of the world's population. Because like, to, 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 to like really kind of emphasize like how insignificant this is in relationship to other people. <laughs> you know, Absolutely. 1, I can get it in my, in my head sometimes. I'm like, I have more followers on Twitter <laughs> than people who live in my hometown. <laughs> where, where are you from? But it doesn't mean much. Uh, I'm from a small town in central Oregon in the mountains that has a population of um, tw 2050, I think now. Mm -hmm. And I have just surpassed that. So that's canceled. Perfect. Oh, wow. How glamorous is that? Yeah. Take that, rural <laughs> Oregon. I'm a star now. <laughs> Perfect. No, so we're tonight we're talking about a writer who's very near and dear to my heart. And last week we talked about Andrew Holleran, one of the first gay authors to really help me reframe my own perspective on the cultural tornado and calamity that is homosexuality. Mm -hmm. But I think today's topic, Larry Kramer was really the author who cemented it for me and then gave me, not to sound like an academic or anything, but he really gave me like language and a way of approaching my sexuality in like a cultural sense. Mm -hmm. What's your experience like reading him? Uh, my experience finding him was a big deal for me um, because I me think too. it could it, it, it like justified a certain well I don't know I mean I think I think one thing that like was very um, cool about Larry Kramer was that he um, was uh, a moral authority who kind of um, made it seem like change was possible. I feel like the only kind of like gay literature I read before that was like um, Gore Vidal City and the Pillar, which is like just like so bleak and despairing uh, mm. at its close. Um, and this one like at least suggested like the possibility um, instead of being a completely isolated lone actor that you might have a world unto yourself. Um, yeah. However limited it may be. So where did you first come across him? Like how did you start reading him? I first started reading him. Um, I um, I went to school at a performing arts high school in Orange County, 
um, at the height of Glee, and the school's claim to fame was that the teacher um, on Glee had gone to the school. Um, and I stayed in the closet until freshman, sophomore year of college. Um, and the reason was is because even though homosexuality was like totally permitted, I was um, deeply freaked out by um, the kind of prancing gay um, minstrel subject that people really kind of <laughs> loved. Um, yeah. Uh, and, the, and then they were kind of like lifting up and like holding as an exemplar. Um, and even then I kind of felt like um, this was denying me aspects of humanity that I had to be like a perfect little singing boy who also had a perfect tragedy, um, which was my kind of stifled um, ability to speak my truth as a homosexual. Um, oh. <laughs> but but um, in college in particular, though, I kind of took it um, upon myself to like really educate myself what it meant to be gay. And I had mm. been hoping that like it would mean finding an older gentleman to like take me to the opera or some shit, like one of those. Certainly. You know, but um, it never materialized. <laughs> so I had to read their Kramer instead. No, absolutely. Oh, it's very similar to me. I went to a charter high school because in middle school, I was too bullied for being gay and I got pushed on the stairs and I got attacked and followed home. And I had like all of these, like exactly what you're talking about, like the perfect tragedy. And I, unlike you, fell into the trap of being the three kids out at my school. The other one was a boy named Luke, who was my co-president of the Gay Straight Alliance. And he was a... a kind of drag race flouncing queen who went through his day with a faux hawk um, in perfect like hairspray condition, the highest voice I've ever heard, mm-hmm. and was like kind of like the upperclassman who scared the shit out of me for like being so perfectly gay. Yeah. Uh, then there was me, and then there was a uh, underclassman just a year below me who uh, was a dancer. Mm-hmm. So. They had their trifecta. I got shoveled into musical theater. I was the president of the Thespian Club for a while. And I was the, you know, cultural trope of the gay man. And it took me basically until I started, like, having abject sex with old men after I went to college for me to realize, like, what a fucking sham I had been through. And that was the same time as you, where I started picking up on Larry Kramer because I started wanting deeper answers for my dark, evil condition than just glee. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And I think that also, too, um, I was curious about this world that I knew existed. Um, It was a world that I had really kind of um, misjudged because I thought it was a world where people spoke in full sentences and went to the opera. Um, and had like very kind of like scandalous, like highfalutin, high-powered sex and romance and all that kind of stuff. Um, but you know, like it, it, the world that he presented in Faggots at least seemed um, like you wanted to go into it. Um, it, it was yes. different from how stifling it felt to um, have to assume this kind of perfect, gay, tragic, that, that kind of narrative that was wasted onto you. I didn't really want to ever have to deal with that. No, I went through it, and then I got the fuck out of it. I ran away, mm-hmm. and at that point, I was, I guess I was, like, in a, a freshman still. I was like still trying to be, like, the tragic, like, gay image, mm-hmm. but 
the more that I like saw the truth of like what power it has to be a destructive homosexual who just like eats orgasms and like exists as a swirling black hole. Mm-hmm. I was like, there is something like actually fascinating and beautiful here that isn't just like the easy culturally based clap for you because you had to go through something hard. Well, and yeah, and then the other part of it too is like it's also just not um, queer. Like it, 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 it's so deadening. It's so um, um, it's so hidebound, um, and so restrictive in your conception of yourself and what you can do and can be. Uh, yeah, as a as a you know as as opposed to like a kind of um, bodiless, effervescent, uh, evil Japanese sprite, you know. <laughs> <laughs> No, it's so true. It's like they wanted everyone to be a very specific 90s image that was like from like the initial push for gay marriage post HIV AIDS, like Bill Clinton corporate will and grace homosexuals. And that transferred into a sickening and everlasting role for gay people in which there was only one outlet and it's like through Kurt from Glee. And so I tried my hand at that in high school and then realized really quickly that it's not going anywhere. It's a lie and uh, it's very hollow and distressing. I think the other part of it too is like, um, you know, once you do have gay history, like some like knowledge of gay history under your belt, you also realize how new, how imposed and how politically driven the decision to embrace that model of homosexual was. Um, mm. And I, um, yeah, I think, I think like more than anything, like my, my complete like political trajectory and political compass had completely reoriented itself around the question of like being, uh, a homo. Honestly, it, yeah. it, it, was, it was, it was true. Like I, um, like I, I was, um, an intern for Congresswoman Nancy Pelosi at one point in my life. Oh, yes. And, <laughs> oh, that is so kind. I know. And I also, um, and I also, like, like, no, no, like, literally, I wanted to be, um, I mean, like, this is also, like, probably, like, fuel for um, freaks to, 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 to dog on me, but, like, I wanted to be James Bond, literally. That like, this is also, like, a, a very big ambition of mine. Um, so I was like, well, obviously I should jo- join the CIA. <laughs> yeah, why not? <laughs> After the ambition of mine, too, at one point in my life before I was like, oh, wait, um, this is evil. <laughs> it's all so evil. <laughs> it's all so terrifying and evil. Look at that beautiful route where they try to channel you out of the extremely sublime and engrossing gay experience into convincing you you got to go to the CIA. I know, <laughs> I, know. I, I almost fell for it. I almost fell for it. <laughs> well, I mean, I almost got trapped into academia. Yeah. Yeah. Like, I really saw a path for me that way. And then, um, you know, the next step after I started throwing myself into the old man slut void of college was the next one was uh, throwing myself into the old man Japanese slut void yep. in this country. I mean, so that one's that's pretty elevated, I think, actually. And it's okay. Oh, I think actually I have a very elevated gay level. That yeah, I'm yeah. Sure. Uh, because I, I've abandoned my gender in order to achieve my gay goal yes which is to give blowjobs and mm-hmm. to provide pleasure as like a little vessel and processor for <laughs> <laughs> why am i saying this i mean oh my god well, I mean, like, thing too, i i i so wish that i um that pool boy was a viable career 
you know? Yes. The pool boys were a viable career, that like being a courtesan was a viable career. I had like a, like a, like a very distinct um, dysphoric relationship between um, my circumstances and the fact that I should be like a decadent aristocrat, like surveying my gardens, you know? Yes, no, it's poetry. unfair the position that gay men have been forced into by this cultural mores. I recently discovered it's not pronounced morass. Is it not mores? <laughs> oh, maybe it's that. <laughs> <laughs> Whatever it is. Whatever it is. That, that word uh-huh. has robbed me of my God-assigned path, which yeah. is to be like a beautifully laid out drag queen in a nice long wig and a simple dress on a sofa being attended to by men and then writing poems yeah. and small novels about my feelings. Yes. Like it's not fair that I have to labor. Yeah. I shouldn't have to because I am beautiful and interesting. <laughs> I mean, this is a question that I have for myself though, which is like, mm. were I to have existed under a 1950s, incredibly conservative, um, you know, mentally ill, homosexuality is mental illness regime would i have be the person i am today and would i assume that mantle um and if i i think i would be a very successful straight person if i was in that role i think that i'd be like an incredibly destructive one exactly well that is the definition of a successful straight person Uh, is one who destroys yeah yeah. Uh, (laughs) sure yeah exactly No, I, I I think if I had to live my life forced into that role, I would have gone into the military. I'd be really hot and I would mm-hmm. be, um, I think things would be going pretty well for me, all things considered. Sure. Yeah. I mean, that's romantic to think. I, I, who knows what could have happened, but. Yeah, no, exactly. I feel like um, um, <laughs> one of like, the most like formative traumatic moments was like, um, I remember watching, I had one teacher who showed Midnight Cowboy in class in high school. Oh my god! Really cool teacher. Uh, yeah, <laughs> and that one scene where it's um, uh, Bob Balaban, the guy with the glasses. No, not him. No, the older one, the older gay guy. Oh. Um, and he's like, and he's like, um, the one that he kills. He, I had like my best friend in high school was like, uh, Terry, <laughs> and I was like, oh no, oh god, oh no, fuck, and then like, I just think to myself, like, yes, that would have absolutely been me, the kind of, like, kimono-wearing, um, <laughs> cold cream, um, calling everybody Louise, but then, like, married tragically, I feel like that would have been very much my fate. Absolutely, I think for me, like, my fate is actually set in the 19th century, and mm-hmm. I'm just gonna go full retarded weeaboo and say that it like, would have been in Japan, and I would have been, like, the uh, courtesan for a very lovely uh, samurai warlord in the very, uh, right before Meiji era started. Sure. And, you know, maybe I'm white, like, maybe I just got imported there, (laughs) who cares, you know? I'm not not trying to ethnically cast myself in any way, but I think that's where my soul lies. Maybe it's Toshiro Mifune, it's, like, it's fine, you know? It's, it's cool. Oh my god, my boyfriend killed himself when he was storming the castle at Kumamoto, what will I do now? God damn. <laughs> <laughs> um, well, I just took the podcast to its most inappropriate level yet, but I uh I think that this kind of mindset that we've both established together <laughs> of where we were as gay men in college leads us into the first glimmering object of today's topics, which is faggots mm-hmm. by Larry Kramer. Uh, we don't have responsibilities. 
I think it's in the nature of everyone to want to be in love. I think uh, an awful lot of my friends want to be in love. Why are so few of them in love? Uh, why do these relationships disintegrate after six months or a year? Myself included. Perfect book. Perfect book. Perfect. No problems. Five stars. Um, I, <laughs> um, there. I, I was talking with um, like a art older art critic about this, um, and he had just like posted like a bunch of shit about um, Larry Kramer and faggots, um, and uh, had. Did you see like the New York Times review of Faggots by chance? I sure did. Where like they called like wor- like sentence for sentence the worst book that's ever been written. The, the New York Times hates Larry Kramer. Why? He's so good. Because <laughs> well, he hates them too. Well, sure, 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 sure. Yeah, like to. I don't really feel like it's my job to tell people like the history of Larry Kramer. Like, get on your shit and figure it out yourself because it's not. If you're a gay man and you don't like know like yeah, what uh, he's done, like you failed your self gay history education, and I don't want to tell you about it. I mean, I feel like um, Larry Kramer to me is what other people insist Harvey Milk is to them. That's so exactly right. Yeah, I feel like Larry Kramer is um, like genuinely a heroic figure who. Um, suffered so many blows and like was willing to take so many blows to um, advocate his cause and to um, uh, shepherd the, the the homosexual people, um, you know, from uh, darkness and to the other side. Um, the degree to which he was able to do so, I mean, like no one person could have done so, but like, good God, that man like endured, you know? So endured um the first time i ever started reading his books and like learning personally about his history and like what he has done for the cause i would get weepy just like Mm -hmm. reading (laughs) reading his wikipedia page like reading old interviews with him or like watching like him on emerald city tv which is like this old public access new york program that has a bunch of its old episodes taped onto youtube it's really beautiful i highly recommend it they have like all of these old commercials for like bathhouses and like gay resorts and it's uh, all I want. it's it's the world i want mm-hmm. and just like seeing a gay man talk about his identity in such a strident and violent and unbudging way mm-hmm. really gave me a lot of nerve when i was trying to really turn my glee identity into that of an actual functioning homosexual yeah and i i will say for those who are so evil as to not <laughs> know about him he mm-hmm. basically started his career as a screenwriter he wrote women in love he eventually moved on to writing um theater and he wrote several novels over the course of his life when the hiv aids epidemic hit he became an extremely important actor in HIV AIDS prevention. He was one of the founding and leading members of ACT UP for quite a while. And um, he lived a long life uh, tirelessly shouting and being obnoxious about AIDS. Yes. Yes. I mean, I mean, and, um, and faggots captures him pre AIDS um, already bemoaning the rot and nihilism and narcissism um, of the gay community um, in a way that uh, earned him the ire of the kind of collective pleasure-seeking main organs. Like, I mean, like, he actually, like, really went through some shit there. Um, I don't, I mean, 
yeah, he's he's um he's wild for how steadfast. He, I mean, he's he's also like just like such a crazy figure for like how um, faggots is a moral indictment of this time that got proven so right in retrospect, and it's very creepy to read faggots and to do the accounting afterwards that you know all these characters probably died you know exactly very eerie to kind of read it and to like to like to hear these kind of descriptions of like very graphic and explicit and casual of casual sex um and just kind of thinking to yourself like there's no way they could have survived no absolutely not yeah, Faggots is, is a novel that traces the sexual career of a man named Fred Lemish who is getting quite a bit older and is beginning to doubt his place in the homosexual society. And it mm. describes the lives of many around him. And the general tone of the novel is a horrifying, terrible unsettling satire of gay sexuality where orgies go on for scenes that end like drug use death nazis it's almost a 400 page novel of nothing but sex chaos Mm. and it's very popularly read now as like kind of a tome and sort of like historical document of of the time Mm -hmm. and i think any person reading it now like has no choice but to like read about like this decadent sexuality and then feel that kind of preeminently correct terror about Mm. where it goes to yeah yeah i i had a when i was writing about this for my thesis my advisor like really strongly like tried to push me away from that and was like you really you really shouldn't be like mentioning it that way because like you're missing the point of queer theory to uh you know re to repurpose that narrative that way you should be trying to make something productive out of it but i think the overall effect of the novel is one of just complete upset and disaster yeah and i think that um you know if you're gonna take the queer theory um like one queer theory reading of this is like um, his desire for stability in a chaotic world outpaced his desire to be a fuck beast. Uh, yeah, <laughs> and his like desire for citizenship was like 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 deeply like like vastly outpaced like his desire to be a cum dump. Yep, and I think that I I don't really think I agree with like the end point of this novel yeah. like i think like its general theme is like something i completely am 100 opposed to and it's like finger wagging is like not something i agree with but what i actually find so stunning and beautiful about this book are the descriptions of the human desire mm-hmm. and longing and urge for contact yeah. and experience with others that like any of the thematic like finger wagging points like kramer tries to make along the way are just so subservient to the actual terrifying power that he has of these sex scenes. Mm-hmm. Yeah, no, the sex scenes are um, vile. <laughs> they're they're really they're really really gross. Um, yeah, and um, I mean, I I feel for the characters though in the sense that like um, they're they're like they're they're just like wired for it. Like 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 they can't even conceive of like not uh, having a down moment. <laughs> like I, I remember no. talking- <laughs> oh hold on and i the uh, the wi-fi just totally jumped what did you say oh no oh i was just saying um 
and listen to your hollering episode at the gym. Um, and one thing that kind of struck me was like what you were talking about, about like how he documents the down hours of, you know, after going to the dances, you know, after going to the, the, the clubs, um, mm. of like being by the phone, of like being in your apartment, like with the stillness of like the evening or something. Um, and there is no down moment. It's like a constant mania of activity with no other kind of um, impetus, but to uh, kind of drain yourself of any cum that might ever be in your body at any given point of time. Absolutely. I don't think there's like a single passage in this book that doesn't come from or lead to another sex act, basically. Yes. yes. Or like the indulgence of like, uh, or the ingestion of like a fuck ton of drugs. Oh, yeah. Yeah. And I think what's so stunning and upsetting about these sex scenes is, like, not even, like, the physicality and corporeality of, like, oh, my God, like, these gay people are doing such a heinous uh-huh. acts to each other. But it's really the heart of it where these men are just so desperate to get what they want. Yeah. And that feeling is something I think every human knows, like, whether or not it's directed towards terrifying gay sexuality or not it's Mm -hmm. like every person knows that kind of desire and longing and i feel like kramer has such a handle on it in these scenes yeah it's so mechanical and rote and um void of feeling but then like there will be these characters like like the timmy winnie um romance that happens that's consummated once but then you know is ever after a kind of chase between these two um like the two most gorgeous hunks that have ever been and will ever be um, finding each other and having like as passionate romance in their head. And um, uh, like, like the drive for those characters is so, um, what am I even saying right now? Um, offset by how, uh, just offset by like their bad behavior. Like they have like a, like a primal drive, but they could just like never make it happen until uh, tragedy befalls uh, Winnie. Yeah, I, I, yes. I think it is him. Um, one one thing to note about this book is, like, in so devoting to the absurdity of this sexual culture, like, all of the characters have the most, like, unreadable, obnoxious ah. names you've ever yes. heard. Um, Thank you. I wrote down some good ones. Dom Dom, mm-hmm. Frigger, mm-hmm. Montoya and Lark, mm-hmm. Carty, mm-hmm. Yo-Yo, Maxine, Bruce Sex Toys, Yutha Truth, Billy Boner. <laughs> I mean, I think this also like kind of goes, I mean, there, I also wonder just like, if like, this is like the arch gay ultra literate thing happening too. Like, yeah, they have like ridiculous names, but then like, they're like, Andrew Holleran has ridiculous names too. Um, yeah, he does. James McCourt, who was also writing at that time, has like the most insane names I've ever heard in my entire life. Um, I think it's just like a literate, like like as, as many puns as he possibly can, and like trying to like think of like the most like obnoxious name that like sticks in your head is kind of yeah, no part of the goal. And it's also this like very like queenly regal kind of thing where it's yes. like I'm the writer and I'm able to mm-hmm. see what this actually is because like both Kramer and Holler and have talked about like on Emerald City TV specifically about how. Yes, like, they are decrying this climate, but they're only decrying it because it's something they love so dearly. Yes. And when you love something and it's not perfect and it's not exactly what you want it to be, mm-hmm. you cry with more fury and rage about it than if it was something you don't care about. Yeah, 100%. 100%. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, 
I think also too, like like uh, per that like older art person's um, what he said there, like one thing that I think you can say about this is like a, a pretty bitchy assessment, but like this is more um, it's not great literature, but it's very literate. Um, mm. Like I think that his technique of like using like um, page long breathless sentences um, can be pretty exhausting to read, honestly. Uh, oh no joke yeah. this book is this book is painful to get through honestly it's pretty painful to get through um for that like kind of all caps like exclamation part exclamation mark um like mania of, of the action that kind of transpires and then the voice that is recounting all of it um but one thing you could kind of totally notice about it though is like it's so literate and intelligent about what it's describing and um, uses all manner of wordplay and references and um, yeah he's drawing like from a very like rich grab bag that like stretches like from Oscar Wilde to Betty Davis to it's cool it's really cool I I find that his tone is maybe one of the most like idiosyncratic like voices in that kind of narration I can't think of any other writer in the world who has like the same tone of voice that he does like mm-hmm. sometimes Holleran kind of like reaches that point where like his characters are in their most hysterical yeah. state but meanwhile like Kramer is like writing in this like hysteric screaming exclamation point mm-hmm. like non-stop and it's like really dense and annoying but when you like go through it so many times and like read it like slowly it's like so packed with just this incredible artful syntax it's yes unbelievable that it exists yeah have you ever read james mccourt have you ever heard of him i haven't i recommend him because he is like likewise like um one of these like ultra literate word playing faggots um of this generation but it but it, I just it was like crazy down. like to like observe um the debasement of language since you know like yeah. how how like dumb and um uh, shit-brained uh, uh, modern homosexuals sound in comparison. Can you even imagine, like, <laughs> uh, <laughs> it's impossible, because, I mean, everyone has kind of adapted into, like, Twitter speak in their daily lives, and we all have kind of, like, the same humorous punctuation in the way that we speak that's, like, adapted from so many different cultures processed through drag race like spat out on twitter turned into irony and then people walk around parroting that and it's very deeply frightening um and it makes me long for like the late 70s where i could have been like retorting in the same way that is kramer rephrasing dh lawrence to make a point about yeah gloopy anal sex like how unfortunate are our times it's incredibly sad um but then the other part of it too is like this is a sensibility that like um is very very specific um Mm. it's drawing from a very kind of vast but limited set of resources um and one thing that's very striking to me is just like how um like the yas queen rupaul voice that you're talking about is like adopted by um like my mom you know like it's really weird to <laughs> to consider no it, it so is it's like a da- it's like adapted by your friend nancy pelosi oh god <laughs> i had one interaction it's... with her and it was um 
you know, like, like those press conferences are so stilted, but it could not compare to how stilted this interaction was. It was so oh, no. off-putting and weird. I have met only a handful of politicians. I met first bisexual governor of Oregon, <laughs> Kate, Kate Brown. Brown. She had a hard time chatting with us. Mm-hmm. I think she saw the gay person standing there and was a little troubled, to be honest. Well, because she also has a husband. Yeah, she's a bisexual woman <laughs> with a husband. No comment. <laughs> wow, LGBT. I really like you, Kate Brown. I love Kate Brown. I love Kate Brown. I love Kirsten Cinema. I love these. Um, <laughs> I love Kate Brown and her tanks as well. <laughs> I love. I love. Kate Brown's, I mean, they both have, like, a very similar intense, like, shellacked hair helmet with glasses. Yeah. To be quite honest, I do actually love, like, this brand of politician. Like, Mm -hmm. I also am obsessed with Hillary Clinton lately. Like, I just, I really like these women with hair, like, wretched haircuts. It's, like, marching around stampeding and, like, uh, kind of being cute at the same time. It's, like, very delightful, is it not? Delightful. I, I just wish, like, they were not, um the tone setters and power lever wielders you know yeah it's like i don't i don't (laughs) want people to adapt them into the you know paper doll infographic you know Mm -hmm. do you know what i'm talking about it's like the infographic that has like their shape and like no facial features Mm -hmm. and then it has like a little banner on top with like a yes queen motto yeah, the 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 what, who's the Nina West like the Nina West? Uh, mm-hmm. That's ex- oh my drama. god, that's exactly it. It's like the yeah. Nina West Blues Clues video. Yeah, yeah. Don't turn them into that. Just like you need to have like full like high res pictures of every pore of them like, them in these atrocious outfits sending tanks. Because mm-hmm. that's cute. It's cute. It is cute. It's very cute. It's very um. I mean, this is also, I mean, I don't, I'm not a conservative, I'm not a, um, a Tory, but I like, I love Margaret Thatcher for that reason too. Yes. No, me too. Margaret Thatcher <laughs> looks amazing. as She's like a fucking squashing those unions. Exactly. Squash those unions, queen. Because <laughs> at the end of the day, nothing is ever about politics. It's about how you look doing politics. <laughs> <laughs> because if you honestly care about any sort of political machinery and like you actually think about these people's policy it's like okay what a bore but like Uh, then like look at her wig like (laughs) this is also why i love anita bryan until the end of my life anita bryan is so fabulous i can't one of the best women to ever have walked the earth you know anita bryan anita bryan um legend sorry legend no i do i'm i'm also spellbound spellbound by her beauty yeah um I want to read a passage of faggots that I I find particularly moving. Yes, yes. This is one massive cake of solid body. Thousands, hot men, raiding enough heat to defrost Arctic wastes, and I am being pulled into it, and I am dancing and dancing. Oh, we are so many bodies, and we swing and sway and sweat, becoming one. Mm -hmm. Yes, I love that. Okay. I think I honestly think Larry Kramer predicted Neon Genesis A1 Gallery human yeah. instrumentality. Mm-hmm. Yeah, but he saw that it that imposing exists in gay people, mm-hmm. and it's like, whenever I do have sex, I'm always like very tickled by the fact that it's like, oh, like this man is like wasting his contr- like his uh contribution to the continuation of our species, like inside of like my black hole of a body, like. <laughs> I'm sure it's very fertile, uh, <laughs> but um, no, sorry. Um, 
But like, this is like a really interesting thing about Kramer to me though, at least is like, he does want instrumentality. Like he, I mean, that 70s moment is so interesting because it's the first time that gays get to self-define on their own terms as autonomous individuals. Um, it mm. lends itself to like ultra psychedelic visions of what the possible, um, you know, future citizen might be. Um, but he also uh, is there around long enough and observant long enough to witness um, it shrinking in on itself and becoming more and more narcissistic um, mm. and more and more depraved and more and more, I mean, like that image of of instrumentality is um insane and well written and lovely but like um it's it's predicated entirely on individual pleasure um and and not much else like like, like, like the cause like like the, the the occasions for them to all join together are not to do things i mean this kind of also like leads to his moralism too but like um it's just bound up in their pleasure i don't know no, totally. It's all bound up in their pleasure. Mm -hmm. And that's why I think that a lot of these passages, like even though they're like icky, mm -hmm. they turn out when I'm reading them to be these transcendental moments of beauty. Mm -hmm. Like, I think he and honestly does intend it to be so because uh, sort of like in the same way that like Foucault considers like Grecian relationships with the man and the boy. Uh -huh. It's like these kind of things can be really meaningful to the human experience if you know how to artfully curate them to your life. Yes. But if you just sort of like slip into the sludge of it all and then sacrifice your identity and being to it, then that's where you lose. And so even though I don't really agree with like the moral of the novel, it's like I can kind of get that point out of it in a very queer theory way and I can read it that way. Yeah, yeah. And then it's like, this book is so true. Yeah. I mean, I'm really interested like, one thing that like both Holleran and um, and Kramer kind of stoke in my brain is like I, whenever like I've seen like fantasy sci-fi depictions of like what um, the world would have been if AIDS had never happened, it mm. always kind of conforms to um, the ultra liberal inclusionist um, glee fantasy of like, sure. oh my God, they're able to have their precious love without fear, da, da 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 I think what actually would have happened would have been like a very kind of mass reckoning um, and kind of diffusion and factionalism um, trying to like piece apart like what actually is, what actually is a fag, what a fag can be. Yeah. Why did, why, why did I go with this? Um, yeah. But... No, no, I think you're so right because it's like, we actually have gotten to that point because of AIDS where mm -hmm. we're like in like the inclusion sector of human living. Mm -hmm. But had AIDS never happened, I, I think it would have actually like kicked culture. Like mm -hmm. it would have been a, a huge sort of cultural force that people would have had to deal with because it was only getting more visual. I mean, most of like the the culture we're talking about here like occurred in the 70s but like by 80s like everything was happening and you could see everything yeah. and by 90s it was like doubled down on that until yeah. the current moment we're in now so i think that there would have been no way for especially american culture to witness all of this gay sex pot and like 
what would they have done with it? There's just no way to know. No. Yeah, no, I, I don't know how that would have how that would have manifested. Like I, I it boggles the mind. Like I, I, I kind of yearn for that alternate. Me too. Because I think that like it could have um, gone in such psychedelic dire- like directions that we couldn't couldn't like possibly handle. Like I'm trying. That's the kind of instrumentality I want. Yeah, totally. Well, I mean, like like I think about this a lot. Like I, I think about Italy a lot because. Um, I am researching this article about the Feminiello community, um, mm. the, the traditional third gender of Naples, um, who, or rather, sorry, forget them, um, like, like, or Pasolini, like Pasolini, like, like the kind of, um, the kind of homosexual movements that arose in Italy um, were kind of like the feminist movements in France where it was like Marxist and psychoanalytic. Um, mm. Like, like, imagine if that had happened in America instead of just having like this treacly liberal, um, uh, uh, precious inclusionist um, dynamic um, having full reign to take everything over. Yeah, I would have loved to have seen what kind of chaos that would have spurred. Because I mean, we were both born in the '90s, right? Mm-hmm. Yeah. So by that point the moment would have already started happening. Yeah. And then who knows what kind of gay people we would have turned into. But Kramer was very insightful in that he realized that um, maybe completely by mistake mm-hmm. that something terrible was going to come from this. And uh, what he envisioned was like sort of like an end of the world, like Nazi orgy where in like the very end of the book, he does like this fire Island sequence where, um, it's nothing but like Nazi fisting and like these like fascist um, sex yeah. mud death drowning sequences. Uh, and then Fred Lemish, the narrator, being able to walk away into the light. Yeah. Saying, I am not a faggot. I am a homosexual. <laughs> but, but he's also um, he's also 40. That's right. He's also 40. So his, um, he has to conceive of this without the novelty of youth or beauty or. He, he's he's left to his own devices in like a, a limited way to this kind of yeah yeah he's he's like he's a blank slate again I guess yeah and there's so much terror in this book about him getting older that um freaks me out honestly like I got freaked out in Beauty of Men I get freaked out here I think it is a lot of Larry Kramer like being very uh navel gazing and subconscious and like the ultimate joke of the novel is that he's fred lemish and then fred lemish got aids and then like died so (laughs) which i mean that sounds really cruel um i think larry kramer's death is one of the worst things that's ever happened and i think he had a lot more creative work to do and i openly wept in my japanese workplace when he died yeah i cried really hard too actually yeah i cried i was really upset when he died it was um I found out at 10 a.m. because I hadn't looked at my phone and then I like checked on a break and my friend was like, oh, I hope you're doing okay today. And I was like, what? And she was like, well, Larry Kramer died. And I was like, oh. oh. Yeah. And then I had to literally walk outside and like stand there and like get teary. And I walked back in and one of my coworkers was like, what's wrong? And I was like, oh, this is what I can't Yeah, this is what I can't explain. explain to you. Yeah. Yeah, I was like, can you imagine trying to explain to like some like you know just like chill Japanese coworker about like my gay author <laughs> idol died today? My, my gay <laughs> father died today. I really do view him as a paternal figure. I too. I mean, I really he um yeah he's 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 a, a real leader. He's a real um 
he was a real force of nature that you could kind of get behind and want to get behind because he um, was brave and, and forthright and moral and also um, culturally advanced and like a real a real statesman. You know, we don't have anyone that profound or um, that not reptilian. Um, among our no, I, I, we don't have anyone at all. And it was just so breathtaking to see somebody see all of the cultural engines in homosexuality, see all of the terrifying longing and all of these extreme, tragic, deep feelings that we have. And then not just say like, oh, these are here, mm-hmm. but to like try and like say do something with it. And when I was a... Uh, reading the some of the interludes that he does in women in love and other dramatic works which collects a lot of his unpublished like plays and like older work he talks a lot about how he was influenced by dh lawrence and then he says mishima yukio Mm -hmm. and i had already loved kramer long before i even knew mishima's name and then i read that and i was sitting on my bed and i just started to get weepy again because I was like, somebody sees the world you for what it is. Like, someone it. sees the gay universe for what it is. Yes. Well, well, also, too, his um, next project after Women in Love was going to be for Forbidden Colors, an adaptation of Forbidden I, Colors. I saw that, and I literally <laughs> almost wielded a knife to my throat. Like, I, I literally agree. was about to end it all. <laughs> <laughs> like, can you imagine Forbidden Colors as written by Larry Kramer? Like, it's perfect. Someone kill me. Insanity. Just insane. It's not fair that I don't live in a world where this exists. I know. It's, I, I, yeah, this world's cursed. Fuck this shit. <laughs> I know. It's yeah. so odd. Larry Kramer is such a fucking angel and like he had such a strong point of view and then he barfed it all out in faggots. Like this like broken, malfunctioning, like esoteric novel with like thousand word sentences. Yes. And he just exposed his heart so truthfully that like no matter how you feel about the moral at the end of faggots it's like you cannot be any human on earth and like not feel incredible about this book and that the fact that it exists it's like it's the odyssey right now it is the odyssey yeah no it's 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 epic in scope it's um i mean do you like do you like tony kushner too i do yeah i feel like um i wonder what i mean like like i remember um one of my professors um, wrote a review of The Inheritance, which was like billed as being like the successor to like uh, Angels in America. Um, and she was like notice, like, like noting like, um, you know, of course the protagonist is Jewish. Of course the protagonist, the, like, like, like the kind of archetypal like gay protagonist is Jewish because of Larry Kramer and because of Tony Kushner. Um, but what was I gonna say with this? Holy shit. I'm, um, not sober. Um, <laughs> <laughs> Me neither. And I, I just like, started getting emotional the screen about how, yeah. how Larry Kramer's an angel. So don't worry about it, babe. <laughs> um, no, no, Tony Kushner is like, kind of like, um, I think he has like a lot of the same impulses that Kramer does, right? Like he has a lot of the powerful instincts towards homosexuality, but he does it in a way where that's much more noble. Well, the, I mean, I'm, I'm guessing what I'm, what I'm kind of, taken with by both of them also too is like the moral element to it too with right um like the profound like jewish moral element of um being in judgment of others and um drawing kind of um strict delineations between right and wrong behavior and um feeling uh, inadequate in front of the divine because you are a fallible human being 
Um, no, totally. And I mean, to be Jewish is also to not have an answer about what happens to you when you die. Yeah, yeah. So all of your, your moral actions mean so much more on this earth than if they did if you have a promise of heaven or hell. Yeah. So it's like, I, I feel like that, part of Kramer's like very intense Jewish identity which appears throughout his work mm -hmm. the fact that after death is a question mark I, I feel like really poison mm, poisons is not the right word it really impacts what he has to say yes yes Kushner too Kushner too yeah are you Jewish I'm not Jewish I'm Catholic I am my mom raised me as a Unitarian Universalist. Uh -huh. I'm distantly Jewish. Uh -huh. So you're a chosen My... son. You're, you're a member of the tribe. No, I'm Shinto now. <laughs> <laughs> Love it. Well, I'm Shinto because it's just ghosts, right? Oh, it's just uh, <laughs> spooky little demons that uh, get shrined in in places, uh -huh. and you have to be careful when you Love walk it. into them. And uh, that, that's the thing I love about stumbling across, like, Shinto shrines, like, in the countryside I live in, because it's, like, there is, like, something spooky here. <laughs> and, like, I, uh, even when, like, I walk across them in daylight, like, oh, so spooky. Like, there's some, like, there's something powerful here. And it's, like, I mean, I'm sure people get the same experience. Well, I'm not so sure. I don't really know much about Western faiths. But, like, I feel like when you walk into a cathedral, you get, you know, some Jesus feeling. Do you not? I do. I mean, like, I feel like um, the Mexican, my, my dad's Mexican, like, 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 like the Mexican cast of mind and the certain kind of magical thinking and like thinness of the veneer between reality and between, between life and death is also what prompts a lot mm. of the magical thinking in me, honestly. Um, That's beautiful. Yeah. I mean, like, like, like Dia de los Muertos is like entire, like the point of that actually is like all about like, the veneer is very thin. Um, your ancestors are just across the line. It's like it's like Shintoism that way, honestly. Mm -hmm. And that you have like a direct contact through the veil. Yes. You, no, it's like yeah. I I feel like definitely when I am going out for a walk and I'm like listening to Yellow Magic Orchestra and I'm like strutting around and thinking about what I'm going to do with my life. Uh -huh. It's like, then I find a shrine and I go quiet and I, I turn the music off and I'm like, something is here. Something is here. Do you think, because I don't know this, tell me if I'm, if I'm being crazy. Is there, is there um, Shintoist elements to Yellow Magic Orchestra? Oh, um, I am planning a Yellow Magic Orchestra episode. Fabulous. So, I will be, I, I won't go too deep into it, but, like, sure. they totally see Japan, they see Shinto, and they see fascism all at the same moment. Yes. And they see the, like, they see globalization, they see literally everything at the yeah. exact same time. So, when they do, like, their live shows, and there's, like, Tory Gates, yeah. and, like, then they're all wearing armbands and, like, mm -hmm. saluting, it's, like, they see sort of like the instant death that you have to recognize like when you're walking around a Shinto shrine at the same time they see like the long scale death of like political movement. Mm -hmm. Yellow Magic Orchestra is genius. And yeah. so is Larry Kramer. Yeah. Like, <laughs> um, one thing that goes unremarked about Yellow Magic Orchestra is that they're also really hot. Oh my god. Don't get me started. She's like the hottest person that's ever. Oh my god. Oh, they're so hot. I'm gonna cut it there sure, sure, sure. so I don't get carried away. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> Craig! We are in the middle of a fucking plague, and you behave like this.
people is a fucking plague. We are in the worst shape we have ever, ever, ever been in. All those pills we're shoveling down our throats, forget it. Act Up has been taken over by a lunatic fringe. They can't get together. Nobody agrees with anything. All we can do is field a couple hundred people at a demonstration. That's not going to make anybody pay attention. Not until we get millions out there. We can't do that. All we do is pick at each other and yell at each other. And I say to you in year 10, the same thing I said to you in 1981 when there were 41 cases. Until we get our acts together, all of us, we are as good as dead. I've returned. Did you pee? I did pee. I urinated. Yay. Not on someone necessarily, but not necessarily not. <laughs> okay, well, we're back. We're back. <laughs> wow, we, I got a lot of my emotions out already, so I'm fascinated to see where this goes from here. Oh, God, this is a good one, too. I know, I was screaming already. I mean, because he's... he's dad he's like a, he's like a moses figure he, he like led us through the darkness in a way i know we don't have anyone else to do it so of course i'm gonna get emotional when moses is not being publicly recognized or uh being misread by the public so willingly i'm, I'm glad that like we have kamala at the very least you know <laughs> <I'm kidding>. uh, <laughs> i'm glad we have pete and kamala to um, no, I honestly think that this is like the only way to like uh, recast cultural figures is just, you know, you have to queer theory them and then you have to learn how to like read them as uh, actual gay icons. Like you can have the base, or, I'm not saying based, I'm saying the base, like the most basic taste about Pete, which is that, oh, he's not really gay. He's bad. Uh-huh. Or you can graduate and be like, Pete Buttigieg is a gay icon. He's definitely... Um... He's hot, no matter what people say. I literally am so irritated whenever someone say, Pete's not hot. I'm like, honey, if that guy in military apparel sent you a message on Grindr, like, you'd be chomping at the bit. Listen, he's hot. There's there's no denying that. Um, Chastin, no. Chastin is an egg. He's he's like a sexless. Um, he's like he's like the grotesque creatures that like Larry Kramer describes at the very beginning. Of like <laughs> just like sagging flesh monsters in like a otherwise um, kind of shitty establishment, but nonetheless like you know remarkable for being uh, shitty looking. Um, but I just um, remembered that Larry Kramer dislikes queer theory. Um, this is the part that I underlined and wrote law. Um, in my copy of uh, The Tragedy of Today's Gaze, my own college, Yale, with $1 million of my own brother's money to do just this, has yet to teach what I call gay history, unencumbered with the prissy, incomprehensible, Im- imprecise, fuzzy gobbledygook of gender studies and queer theory. Abraham Lincoln would not understand that kind of stuff. I do not understand that kind of stuff. Wonderful. Oh, queen. Coming out against Judith Butler. Get her. Get her. Get her, Jane. I think the only evil, really, person that, like, loved Kramer was Susan Sontag. I love Susan Sontag. I, I like her, too, actually. Like, she's evil, but I love her. She's the best. I, I, 
she's i here's a crazy story um you met her <laughs> no i didn't meet her my Just um kidding. my father has a very I, I don't think this is true i don't think this adds up but he has like a very vivid memory of me um begging of like of like him yelling at me at soccer practice to stop reading against interpretation oh like, no. <laughs> <laughs> Oh no, <laughs> I believe it though. Yeah, 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 I'm a really weird person. <laughs> no, I mean also, um, you posted on Instagram so famously the picture of your parents admiring some art. Oh yes, yes. And yes. then lots of people were being like, your parents have shit taste in art. <laughs> <laughs> so I mean, I mean, if they have that kind of taste in art that they do, I don't think they're going to lie about the Sontag book. Yeah, 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 yeah. That was a really, oof, yeah. I mean, they they were really thrilled about that, actually. They were really thrilled to be social media stars from behind. But it was very weird that because already, like, people were talking about my mom's feet. Um, even from behind, they were like, wow, oh. I wonder what her feet smell like. It's like, oh, damn. Are there a lot of, like, straight guys that, like, are into your posting? Straight guys? Uh, yeah. Like, even the straight guys that I know are, like, Adam Lehrer type art fags. <laughs> can you please call out of lara an art fag again that was the most little rewarding moment i've had on this show it's so cute i, I love adam you know i i i touch the screen uh that is your heart um, no, I, me too. I'm, I love him dearly uh, really what a wholesome guy and such a love i i love his little journey and i love his <laughs> his personal mission for art i think it's really beautiful and he's I, so cute and I, um he is an art fag <laughs> he is art fag he's committed to chaotic good um which yes. is more than most people in the art world can say for themselves i like to think that i am to some extent but um I also have like a Fran Leibowitz, like COVID broke my brain and I've since developed like a Fran Leibowitz fear of writing, which is like yeah. um, so hysterical because I'm like, oh yeah, I'm a writer. Okay, <laughs> but, when um, COVID happened, actually I stopped writing for like three months. Like I couldn't, yeah. I couldn't put a word down. I, uh, I was broken. I mm -hmm. uh, could do literally nothing. It was the worst artistic period of my entire life. Mm -hmm. But you were Awful. that entire time, weren't you? I started podcasting in July of last year only, so uh, I see. I needed to do something, and I wasn't capable of writing. And like now, I've figured it out. I just have to write before I go to work. Yes, 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 yes. I do it in response to like, um, like, like very deep, urgent senses that these things, certain certain things, need to be doth spoken. You know? Yeah. Um, That's exactly it. Yeah, I get like very gripped by things. Me too. I usually produce a project in a flurry. Like, it's mm -hmm. like, I have to get it out. And uh, the most recent project I've been working on is very much of that nature. It's like, mm -hmm. oh, I have experienced this emotion, and now every single person on the planet needs to know about it, or I'm going to kill myself immediately. I, I, I'm kind of curious about this, though, because, like, I, so part of the reason, like, why I stopped and started doing a podcast um, was because I was so intimidated by the scope, scale, and quality of vision that I'd seen, like, you and Jack do in particular. Okay, well, I also feel intimidated by Jack's scale of vision. Like, I completely... Anyone who respects podcasting as art and not just as, like, people blabbering, like... Yeah. 
Jack is the pinnacle to me. I mean, I, uh, I, I suck his dick a lot. I, I think I say his name on almost every single one of my episodes lately, but it's like doing my Mishima episode with him and yeah. then doing my two episodes on his show was like the most formative thing I've ever done for my podcast. Like recording the Mishima episode, like showed me what I want yeah. to do with my show. Um, everyone should follow that model. Everyone should take themselves seriously and everyone should commit to, to an idea and then naturally the theme will follow. I just think like there are other, like the the, the kind of biggest red pills for me were like, um, uh, I mean, the biggest one for me, like by far, like in terms of like understanding that as an art form was girls chat because it was by far the most, um, it like rewired my preconceptions of what a podcast even was in the first place. Uh, but I think that, uh, you know, Jack's project is so redeemable and, and, and um, it's so crazy because of his kind of very considerable intellect um, and uh, sense for culture. Like it's, a, it's, it's just so impressive. No, um, it is. And it, I mean, the a lot of the thematic framework around perfume nationalist is like about soap operas and drama and like theater and i i I don't mean theater like in the literal sense of like a stage production but like in theater and like watching a spectacle you know and i hadn't picked up on that on the few episodes i had like streamed individually and Mm -hmm. then when i listened to the project like front to back i'm on episode like 97 now i've done it and like i've been picking through it chronologically for about like 10 months now and mm-hmm. when you see that like you see like antagonists appear you mm-hmm. see like character arcs like it, and it's not like produced or created it just is that yeah. like in having such a specific vision mm-hmm. naturally the narrative kind of unfolds and I pray to God that my podcast has that effect on somebody and don't tell me that it does on you I don't need to hear it. I'm just saying I, I hope it does <laughs> No, I mean, like, I, um, I love that though because it's, um, I think it's also a very fundamentally generous thing too, because it's, um, literally exposing people to a new sense that they did not know that they had before. I mm. think I'm actually, I think I'm actually a Nosmic, which, um, is not particularly great. Um, so I don't think that, like, I actually have a very pronounced perfume journey that way. Um, but I think it's a very generous thing to want to share art with other people and to engage with others and to really meaningfully pick apart the sense of possibility that imparts and the kind of um, unspoken ineffable humanity that we live with um, that, uh, that, that that an artist can recognize. Um, I feel like I, I, I've been trying to do this um, in private with like visual art and it's such a tough sale. And it's like, I mean, even like on posting on like a social media, it's like, um, it's very difficult to impart a sense of urgency because um, it's so corruptible and the frame around it is so garish and nightmarish and evil um, that it's, it becomes very kind of lonely and very um, questionable whether, um, you know, I can, I can like, I would so love to tell people like why um, de Kooning made me not want to kill myself, you know, but um, uh, I, I don't know. I feel like, uh, you know, I have to work on that podcast vocabulary. I suppose. 
I don't know what I'm doing. That's I don't like, know either. I'm drunk also. <laughs> <laughs> Me too. I've I've been drinking for now nine hours. Mm-hmm. So it's amazing that I have any semblance of coherence and I'm like not even sure that I do. So do you, I mean, are you still performing? I haven't performed a lip sync. I'm I'm approaching my one year anniversary of oh not having God. done a lip sync. I'm really crushed by it because in February of last year, uh-huh. I had a list about this long. Like I had a uh-huh. fucking scroll of numbers I wanted to do, ideas with them. I was <laughs> ready. I was kicking off. I was like, this is the moment that Langley Chi-Chi is going to start making art out of lip syncs. Sure. Because I have always found lip syncs to be a really detestable and boring part of the drag experience. And I was like, sure. okay, I have to figure out how to appeal to all of these like faggot club goers and their <laughs> hags and like these like bottoms who are just trying to get filled. Yeah, like, yeah. I need to like give all these people the cunty moment while expressing myself. And I had finally mm-hmm. come up with a big list of things I wanted to do. Yes. And then COVID happened. No more gigs. I had one gig mm-hmm. that I felt I could do and not get infected and ruin my visa. Like, yes. <laughs> so I did the gig and I did an Amro Namie song in a little latex dress. And that was a big smash hit and very transcendental for me. And I haven't done anything since. And I am... I am going to be so overwhelmed when I can lip sync again that I'm going to just fucking sit on a chair and do Sky Ferreira. Oh my god. <laughs> I'm, I'm just going to like sit on a fucking chair in my little um, classic image blonde wig. I'm going to fucking sit there and do I blame myself and everyone's going to have to deal with it because I have too many feelings to dance. Okay? I can't dance about this. The thing is, is like I, I'm so tired of... Um for lack of a better word, the, the, the clownery, the minstrelsy, like the, the kind of Joker um, jester theatrics of drag. Because also the other part of it too is like, it's so divorced from femininity in the first place. Like it, it has nothing to do with um, like any kind of uh, real tie to womanhood. And like, you know, like uh, tell me if I'm conservative here, but like if you're lip syncing a woman's voice, I feel like you should try to embody some sort of femininity in the process. Yeah, no, I, I mean, <laughs> if you think about the typical lip sync performance, it's like to a big like top 40 song. There's uh-huh. a few like gimmick dance moves and um, a cute look, maybe mm. a reveal, if you will. A reveal. And it's that's a no for me. I'm like, okay, you're good for you. But it's like. I don't see anyone doing anything interesting with the medium, really. Like, I think Lady Bunny is, like, maybe the only one who will, like, Love put her. on an instrumental track and then cut <laughs> her voice and, like, saying, like, shady things about how Chris Brown beat Rihanna. I'm like, okay, that's, like, kind of a mood. <laughs> like, I love that. But then it's like, oh, my God, here comes Denali. Here comes Nina yeah. West. Like, here comes whatever drag room the last four seasons and they're doing this Dua Lipa song. Yeah. It's like, oh my God, like, kill yourself. I don't, I don't fuck what, off. So we had a very, um, I lived in San Francisco for seven years before I came to New York. And I'm so sorry. No, no. I mean like, like one kidding. of the great <laughs> shining lights though of San Francisco, you know, San Francisco is also a terrible drag city. I will say up front. Um, the drag kind of famously are, too. Yeah. Yeah. Well, I mean, they're much more concerned with being community leaders than being entertainers. Like, Vaughn. Honey Mahogany was elected the chair of the SF Democratic Party. Oh, she won that election, did she? she won that election. Um, right, Honey Mahogany, Caftown Queen, is not an election Queen. Yes, well, but then, okay. But I bring this up, though, because um, 
one of the great experimentalists of drag, Fatima Rood, passed recently. Oh, um, yeah. And the first time I saw her, she was performing My Heart Will Go On, Celine Dion. And um, prior to singing, she said, give me more tips. This act will be better with more tips. Proceeded <laughs> to take out a staple gun and take the tips and staple them into her bald head. Um, and it was the most horrifying. <laughs> I mean, it was like a hostage crisis. And then like she did Yoko Ono wailing. And it was like, it was just everything I've ever wanted from, from drag. It was... Um, truly transcendent and uh, experimental and something that I don't think I'll ever be fortunate to to see again, you know, kind of given the trajectory. Yeah, and I won't be, I won't be saving myself for drag, you sorry. Know? Sorry, oof. I mean, but it, I mean, even like the current drag race queens, like Willem and Alaska used to give like blowjobs on stage, like okay. Alaska got pissed so on, cool. like, there's just like, <laughs> there's like so much amazing like opportunities for it, but it's like, being trapped in the club climate where it's like mm-hmm. you got to wear the cute dress and you got to do the uh, song with the high BPM. It's like mm-hmm. now what? Um, I think the last queen I saw that like excited me doing a lip sync was one of my friends in Nagoya who did a performance of, she did like a very classic like burlesque number to the 40 shades of gray remix of um, <laughs> crazy in love. And I thought that was kind of fun. Oh God. I thought wow, that was neat. Cool. I had a my boss at the bar, Lyra. She did a um, sister act number. Mm. I thought that was cute. I thought yeah, it was very I, cute. I, I feel like what, what I expect will happen is um, one kind of like underspoken history is of the trans party girl. Um, oh so like yes, some of the international crises. Who was like a disciple of Salvador Dali, Amanda Lear. Um, the Warhol girls, like, like, I feel like what will happen though, is that like trans girls will um, um, assume uh, a kind of chaotic role once I think that like, I don't know, I, 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 I think that eventually binary trans people will eventually kind of feel some kind of force or fire from, you know, just kind of given this kind of cultural climate um, and that they will kind of rebel um, with a chaotic femininity that will um, I completely be recorded and gorgeous. I, I really think, I was hoping and praying that like the signifier of this exciting new movement mm-hmm. was going to be Kanye West openly dating a trans girl. I hope that, wait, has that come to pass? No. Ugh. He's dating some cis bitch right now with some like fucking dumbass bitch. I'm like, Kanye, just do what your heart really wants. Like date, date the tea girl. Like, let's go. Date like a, a gorgeous tea girl. And, and yeah. I want, I want, um, you know, I, I'm, I wish to like, um, I appreciate someone like Gigi Gorgeous in terms of um, her commitment to being a bimbo, but I want like flamboyance. I want weirdness. I want bizarreness. I want um, a level of feminine chaos comparable to Kim, you know? Yep. I, I don't know. It exists. It's there. It's, it's such there. an untapped cultural thing because it's like there are no like party girl trans writers. You know, like they never had their Larry Kramer, and it's like all of the sort of like trans representation in like fiction and in media is like mm-hmm. very approachable trans girl like kind of stuff. Teen like- girls are fucking chaotic. Like. And it's beautiful. Like, they're chaotic and crazy and out of control. And it's like, they have so much well, drama I mean, potential. They're, 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 um, 
they're effervescent and chaotic the way um, cis girls are, you know. But like, but like, it's it's even more captivating though because it's um, it's also filtered it's regal. Through, through a sense of like um, through uh, you know. I mean, I wonder like if, if people even have this anymore. Like, I, I I doubt that even trans people have like that kind of urge to speak your truth through metaphor. Mm. You know. No, I don't. I don't think it exists for almost anyone except for, for me, anyone, who's honestly. just trying to constantly tell people about different ways that I find it exciting to give a blow, like a, a blowjob. It's like, <laughs> you know, that's how I have to do it through metaphor, and no one else is like really. I mean, I want to be. I want to be like a um, chaotic, seductive, like Bond villain. You know, Ripley, Mr. You know, talented Mr. Ripley type, but that's not uh, coming to pass either. I don't know. We'll do. We'll do something. I think I, I honestly think it's gonna work out for the trans girls and something amazing is gonna happen. It's just like I really hope it does because like they're the last bastion. Like they're the last like forefront before like all like queer culture gets like totally like ruined. I think that trans girls um will be our salvation. I also have hope for um our micro generation of um homosexual you know, men, stranded, stranded yes. I do homosexuals. Too. Um because you know we were um, we were we were pumped and dumped so to speak <laughs> by the culture um, and have nowhere to go with the the kind of like I mean I don't know like I had to like you know I had to find kind of elaborate ways of excusing being a chaotic whore. Yeah, no doubt I did too, and now I just don't give any excuses and I say it's art. Yeah, not sex positivity, art. Yeah, because like I think sex is uh, very destructive often mm-hmm. i don't want to say destructive because i'm trying to be really precise with my language around sex i want to say that sex if you don't know how to wield it correctly can break you into pieces how about that so, in keeping with larry kramer <laughs> so you back to larry kramer in his book the tragedy of today's gaze a speech by larry kramer from 2000 whatever um <laughs> his entire thing i mean it's, it's also it's, it's just breathtaking like how those ideas that he had in fact it's kind of solidified into um a resounding sex negativity um because he i mean i wonder if like he had softened like in his later years like when um prep became well no not even because like he also kind of observed like how insane it was among black people and in africa um the hiv aids crisis yeah yeah i don't know he, he views it like as a very like like profoundly destructive thing no, he does. And I mean, all of the inklings of its like beauty and positivity continue throughout his career. And I think that in his really large scale, two part piece of nonfiction, which has been mislabeled as fiction, mm-hmm. is uh, the History of the American People, Volume 1 and 2. Yes. And in that, there's a lot of moments of the beauty of, of, uh, human sexuality and he writes mm-hmm. often about like the pilgrims fucking in a way that's like yes. very forlorn and respectful yeah. of their tragic gay fucking in like these like wooden houses but mm-hmm. um in his popular literature which is and in a lot of his speeches and like in his like public persona he does like have that sex negativity and mm-hmm. uh speaking of the mention of black people I would like to share a little review I found on Goodreads okay. of uh the tragedy of today's gays it's by um, a woman named Sarah, okay. and she's wearing a pink blouse with a little BDSM necklace, and she has some glasses, and she's fat. All right. Hi, Sarah. 
Hey, Sarah. I'll let her know we talk. She, she wrote, if a friend asked me what this book was about, I would say it's about how Larry Kramer is both justifiably pissed at the apathy, stupidity, inaction of the gay rights movement and about how he is so blinded by his own white male privilege that he manages to insult the entire GLBT community with his complete lack of understanding of how racism, biphobia, and sexism interact with homophobia and cause activists to not always do what he wants. Okay, well, duly noted, Sarah, but I don't think- Thank you, Sarah. (laughs) Thank you, Sarah. We value you. Um, I like Sarah. I hope she's well. Even like even, <laughs> even the haters, the haters and freaks. I hope that they're well. I want them to be cared for and to be happy. Yeah, you go, um, Sarah. You go. You go, Sarah. But um, that's a very wrong misreading of Kramer. I think that um, he's. Uh, I mean, his sex negativity comes out of um, a continued horror at the like. Well, it's over now that like affluent white gays. Um, had access to prep and had access to the cocktail and had access to um, all that kind of stuff. I mean, yeah, um, absolutely. Because tragedy of today's gays is a speech he presented that has uh, since been published. And a lot of it is about how, because AIDS was effectively solved by like white upper-class men that mm-hmm. they don't, nobody really truly sees like the continuing ravishment of the country and the, the mm-hmm. entire planet honestly from aids that continues to exist in a lot of populations that don't have the same access yeah and i feel like um i i I mean i mean like 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 my kind of i think that like people got very tired of the pride discourse very quickly but i think it's actually a, a very fundamental struggle because it's pride without reference to anything um that people are trying to push and I think that what Kramer was trying to do um, was to insist on a um, degree of collective shame that would propel us to a, a prideful place once again um, as a community and a people um, uh, who could possibly, with all their resources and talent, um, uh, you know, work to eradicate the problem of AIDS. Um, I think that the way that he draws distinctions and draws like political subjectivity is a bit wrong, but I think that he's right fundamentally. Yeah, I think he says something really beautiful that kind of transcends any uh, time and place about the gay people. He writes that, as much as I love being gay and I love gay people, I'm not proud of us right now. It's slowly disappeared. This pride is becoming injured. I almost could say we've disappeared. They are killing us. They are eradicating us from this earth. Little by little by little, we are disappearing. Mm -hmm. I do not see us, and I'm beginning to see us less and less. And, uh, of course, many people who are trying to falsely read this book would say that that's, like, about, like, gay violence or something or, like, Mm -hmm. you know, physical oppression against homosexuals. But, like, what it's really about is the classical gay role and our mm-hmm. ability to work with that that's being slowly erased and replaced by these disgusting cultural figures it's like it's it's the yeah. glee sickness that i think he is really quite angry about well i mean i think i don't i, I don't 100% agree with that just because like i think that his solution which is like a, not a particularly satisfying solution is like to insist hysterically like that rich gay people do something as if like they had any interest in doing that in the first place. Mm. 
Um, yeah. And um, on insisting on representation um, in the academy and in media, um, which like, 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 you know, representation is not the same thing as uh, a sense of responsibility at all. I mean, mm. you can see like how people have leveraged rep representation um, to completely self-interested ends and what's fundamentally happened. He also talks to you about like class and like the kind of, um, like he has a, a very lengthy section about the 1%. Um, um, but I feel like, you know, like with class kind of gone off the table and like the realization that like, you know, gays don't constitute a class by themselves. Um, this is like fundamentally like allowed affluent white gays to retreat back to their privileges and comforts. Um, like they have the cocktail, it's fine. They have um, all the resources that they need. They have the right to marry. They have all the good things that like, um, they're brokered into society and um, their kind of neglect and uh, apathy is palpable and grotesque. And yeah, because especially because like the affluent, the affluent community that we're talking about here, they don't choose to do anything interesting with their sexuality at all. It's like, you know, uh, middle class, poor gays, and then like the, you know, the upper class perverts, you know, like the weirdos up there. They'll yes. do stuff that's like sexually interesting. And something that I'm going to mention my thesis again, and I don't care because I spent a lot of time on Adderall writing it. Um, gay Gayness doesn't exist outside of the practices of it it's like the only gay thing that exists is like what we do with each other yes. and when you are sexually interacting with another man that's when you're creating gay culture basically that's mm -hmm. like when you're creating something like really homosexual and it's like the only people who are willing to do that are basically like poor or like middle class and like all the ones up there are like in their like weird like yacht schemes or whatever Mm. yeah i mean i mean, I've, like, I've, fucked, I've fucked rich guys before but it's like it's not it's not i don't know it's not the norm i, I, I mean like, like there is a rightful like when the um the mexico gay cruise sank during oh. the height of covid like like Camp. that was like actually um like that was a kind of a, an outpouring of like schadenfreude that like that was so deserved because those people it's like not a white gay problem it's an affluent gay problem these people yeah. um have so retreated far past the point of feeling responsible for anything whatsoever um that um <laughs> they'll they'll um i don't know i mean they'll probably kill us all you know in, in all honesty no totally it's like all the all the rich gays are the ones who are also deciding like where in terms of artistic output or like choosing where gay mm. culture goes next. I mean, I've observed this with art quite a bit where like I, my kind of like big in, into art was um, this thing that's been called queer figuration, you know, um, basically updates on older styles like Picasso, um, but the subject is a gay male with his ass right open. Um, one story that I heard from an artist that like was really like breathtaking was that the collector for the piece itself, like like, like this kind of cultural production, um, was being bought by like Russians, um, like like very conservative Russians who like were openly homophobic in the first place because it was a commodity. Um, uh, uh, I, what am I even saying right now? Um, the, the the value would kind of go up forever basically on this kind of um piece um because his kind of you know brand was hot or something um 
and I just like kind of thought to myself like, damn, wow, you're um, culturally impotent to resist these people. You're um, completely compatible with their regime of like just like actively hating. I don't even know what I'm saying right now. I'm drunk. <laughs> no, no, I I totally get what you're saying. It's like um, all artistic conception of what gay people do is now just commodity that can be purchased by homophobic people in Russia or whatever. Yes. And and I, I um, feel like maybe like in like the 70s and like early 80s, like there was a time and even before that, honestly, there was like when gay directors were just putting out their perversion and it wasn't about them being gay. It was just like their art was perverted and like freaky and like fucked up. And there was it no was for Jack Smith or Kenneth Anger. Oh, yeah. No, no, for sure. But I mean, it's like, all of those people never had any audiences, but like, you can't make a movie without an audience anymore. Yeah. Yes, 100%. Because there's no porn theaters anymore. There's like, no, like, weirdo, like, freakazoid, like, gr- like grungy places. It's like, um, I, I really do feel like the last movie ever made and everything else since then is a lie was... Uh-huh. Um, when John Waters did Cecil B. Demented, like that was the that was the last moment that cinema existed. And since then, nothing. Okay, I mean, I'm kind of exaggerating, being hyperbolic for a point. Sure. Like, there's lots of movies since then, but nonetheless. <laughs> yeah, yeah, I, 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 I feel like I know what you mean. I mean, like, yeah, I, it's, um, I remember, um, I think it was Angelicism. I, I I follow that Substack. Um, they said something to the, to the extent of like um, Dasha doesn't have to make a movie to be Chloe Sevigny anymore. Like she just doesn't have to. And I was like, wow. that, that's actually like a very true thing because her cultural contribution. Um, it already exists. She she's potent enough as a cultural figure and as somebody who can create things um, that she doesn't actually have to do all the extra steps of being an artist. Um, you know, and she's, I've seen Scary um, uh, 61st, I think it's fantastic. I think she's a really wonderful director actually. Um, but that's just kind of surplus to how fantastically she's curated herself and brought herself onto the internet um, and imparted meaning through um, something that would seem as trivial as like, posting um, yeah no i i totally agree it's like the idea of the artist now mm-hmm. it's vanished and yep. that's why drag queens are are flailing so severely on drag races because it's like they only have to produce the image of a drag queen they don't actually have to be one or like live the existence of one and that's why i find dosh to be so noble is because like she succeeded on the image but then continued in her perverted pursuit to make art nonetheless yes i think also too like um it's getting less and less satisfying for me as like someone who thinks about and engages with the art world um because i don't find art there anymore Mm. or as much as i used to do um so where i do find it though is in you know, absolutely backwater internet places, like in forums, um, where I have to kind of convince myself and others that like, this has the potential to kind of be scalable and to find an audience and to, I don't know. I mean, I think that like there are real sensibilities and artistic identities being forged out there online somewhere. 
um, that could possibly yield great change for the betterment of humanity. Yeah, I, um, I think that we need to, like, be able to channel, like, um, online presence and posting into something tangible. And I don't think just, like, publishing it in a book or, like, making, like, an A24 movie adaptation of it is, like, going to do the trick. Definitely. But it's, like, I, I look at the way a lot of my friends post. And I'm, like, that's something artistic. And that's very, it's, like, it's very Kramer-esque to me. Like, the way that they kind of solidify a lot of this great mass of culture and then they put it into a literary output because tweeting is, is literary, whether yeah. it's good literature or not is, is up to the reader. But mm -hmm. in any case, I feel that like Kramer, especially like in this speech, like has a lot of desire for gay people to represent themselves with broken edges and with failure and with upset and, to use that in order to become someone who's active and has a point of view and, mm. and is producing something. And so it's like, I, I see that kind of urge existing on the internet on, and on Twitter, but it's like, what are we going to do to make that an actual piece of art that influences people? Yeah. I think also too, like, um, what's redeemable like like what's probably most redeemable about, about the red scare girls um is that they're um not willing to have it all you know like the, yeah. the, 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 they're willing to actually like um make sacrifices and take stands and um be hated and i think that kramer <laughs> uh, i know that anna would love like that kind of comparison but, i like, know she would love it <laughs> um but you know, Kramer's at his most redeemable when he is drawing a very kind of stark distinction between um, himself and um, not even himself, but like how things ought to be and, um, you know, kind of decadent, narcissistic um, feebleness in front of machinations of power. Like he is so, um, he's so kind of write about the fact that like this kind of conservative agenda um, was 35 years in the making, um, has kind of uh, succeeded exponentially beyond any kind of expectation um, and, you know, kind of goes um, and will kind of reign supreme as long as um, we remain scattered to the wind and unable to consider ourselves as um, righteous moral subjects against their uh, complete evil. My God, that's so beautiful. <laughs> Anna and Josh are the new Larry Kramer everyone get out of the way <laughs> but I mean it, it's unfortunate because um, you're right that both of their breathless sort of anger that mm. is so artful and tactfully put is kind of like the iteration of Kramer that we have now and it took women to be able to adapt it to a contemporary environment. But like, mm -hmm. I think we are still missing a homosexual to do that. Yeah. It's me. It's, it's me. A, it's I'm Larry yeah. Kramer. No, I'm just kidding. I think I, 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 maybe I'm doing the same thing as him, but I mean, it's like, I'm not, I'm not that big of a deal, but it's like, we don't have someone who's as big of a deal as Red Scare. Yeah. Doing that kind of, a, a gay guy. We don't have a, any homosexuals doing that kind of thing. And that's very yeah. dire. Yes, and I because also gay people to... have always been at the forefront. You know, they've always been present and speaking and making popular movies and art. And 
what are they producing now? Like, fucking garbage. It's like, I need some gay man to just, like, be real and, like, speak about the black hole of his rectum already. Black hole of his rectum. And, like, also just, like, I I really want to look up... Have you heard of Deku? I think I have. It's the all-game streaming platform. Oh, yeah, I have heard of this. It is. I, I, I just found this out about this recently, and I'm like... This is like the most like evil compendium of culture that I've ever seen because like it's just propaganda for a weepy uh, and like impotent faggot. Um, that I mean, I mean like like that kind of homo should be destroyed, um, and in its place should be um, a monolith of moral feeling akin to Larry Kramer's right, righteous outrage um, against the decadence of this world, coupled with a transcendent cultural knowledge. Um, that will propose possibilities untold to us as of yet. Oh, <laughs> oh it's like we, we could be living in a realm right now where we have like the Larry Kramer of the Twitter age um, paired with like a new transsexual icon queen mm-hmm. plus Red Scare and then culture would be good. But we're missing two elements here. We yeah. don't have we don't have the gay voice and we don't have the trans girl. We need we need both of those two stars to come up immediately. I mean, you know, we'll we'll work our darn dust to kind of um But no not- doubt I'm fucking pushing my work at this. Like I have a fucking full time job. I got a boyfriend, like I have friends, I like do shit, but I'm out here. I'm podcasting. <laughs> okay, I'm podcasting. He's podcasting as fast as he can, and he's, um, you know, he's tired, and he needs to see results already, people. So if you could, um, you know, get the dollars out of your asses um, and mobilize in favor of um, cultural elitism and visions of the sublime, then we'd all be in a better place. Exactly, because I'm not on Patreon. Like, don't... Until I am. Okay, because one day I probably will be, honestly. Do it. Zach, exactly. <laughs> do it one day but it's like when i'm on patreon okay you can give me some money but until then it's like go make a larry kramer somewhere like i don't care how moral they are like how anti-sex they are it's like we just don't have any gay passion anymore like none give up drag race i mean keep watching it because it's you know tv and it's like fun to culturally chat about like keep that's sure, sure. yeah but it's like give up on any of these like gay people who you think are gonna like actually do something for you it's like make a new one like find a new yeah. way well, I mean, yeah, make a make a new man that is not um, stunted by um, any of these kind of, I don't know, I mean, you see how stunted these people are. These people are mediocre people. These people um, are broken. These, these, these are broken, mediocre people who um, are deserving of our sympathy um, to the extent that they, like, all humans deserve dignity and they have none. Um, <laughs> <laughs> I don't know. Talking